The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. All right. Uh, in all of the storm around the U.S. election results, it's pretty easy to have missed a very interesting story out of Oregon, where in uh, the election, people in that state voted in favor of decriminalizing the possession of small amounts of hard drugs. And with that vote, Oregon becomes the first state in the U.S. to adopt such a policy. Now, here in Canada, the calls for decriminalizing possession of illegal drugs have been getting louder, especially in light of the opioid crisis that we are facing. Facing. Scott Bernstein is the director of policy with the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. He's been watching all of this very closely and joins us now. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jaylen. Nice oh. to talk to you. All right. So let's uh, let's start with talking about what Oregon did. I mean, what does this mean? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a um, a groundbreaking initiative, and so I think as as most of your listeners are probably aware, um, democracy is done a little bit differently down south of the border than we do, and there's often a lot of uh, ballot direct to the voter ballot initiatives every election cycle that go on and ask all kinds of things, and um, particularly this was an interesting year for drug policy reforms, including things like cannabis uh, legalization and a number of states and um, this particular initiative that you talked about in Oregon, which is it decriminalizes all, all drugs, small amounts of all drugs. So, Scott, and I, someone just texted in and said, I think this is important to, um, to, to mention that de- decriminalization does not mean legalization. So what's the difference? Yeah, so I think I think you know the, the difference in my view is that le- legal regulation of drugs, like we we can look at cannabis as an example, where you know prior to a legal system, um, there was a there was an illegal market, and you know people were producing in secret, and there wasn't a really overt or controlled supply chain. And so if we legally regulate drugs, it means actually talking about things like quality control at the production and licensing distributors, as well as things like dispensaries and and sales. And so decriminalization really focuses on the end user. And so it's the idea is, you know, as, as people I think are becoming increasingly aware, we, we know that harms of criminalization are really very impactful on, on people, particularly those who uh, people of color or those living mm. in marginalized conditions. And so decriminalization is, is a way that we can shift priorities away from policing of people and putting them in the criminal justice system and instead uh, focus on health responses where appropriate. So interesting. So when Oregon um, implements the provisions in uh, in in this new law, people caught with small amounts of heroin, cocaine, LSD, other drugs will have the option of paying a hundred dollar fine, attending a free addiction recovery center instead of facing arrest, uh, and the possibility of time in prison. Uh, a lot of people who are are supporting this saying, you know, they're they're calling it the biggest blow to the war on drugs to date, and it shifts the focus where it belongs on people and public health. Remove and it removes one of the most common justifications for law enforcement to harass, arrest, prosecute, incarcerate, and deport people. And you touched on that a little bit. When you talk about that shift on uh, on, on moving it away from maybe the legal system onto public health, overall, what does that do for the system? 
Yeah, and, and let me just let me just echo here, like like in sharp contrast to what what you talked about, which were are still you know there's still penalties if somebody has a hundred dollar fine or mm-hmm. they have to they're mandated to go do a health assessment. Uh, they don't they don't they're not forced into treatment. If the health assessment says you should go into treatment, nobody nobody will force people into that. But prior to that, people with with pot with possession were subject to up to a year in jail and uh, a fine of over six thousand dollars u.s like that's quite a quite a dramatic shift to go from that to um what, what's basically you know a, a speeding ticket level offense um and so i think systemically like we're, we're hearing a lot of calls uh, for the fact that the police are not in the best position to be responding to um, substance use disorder or people who are um, using substances out in, in public. They're, they're not the best ones to be the first responders. And so this allows, uh, would allow our system to shift over to providing things like more mental health supports or or other kinds of supports when, when people need them. But, but I think it's also important, you know, I, I look at this I look at this Oregon initiative, which is, you know, largely a, a good thing, but the fact remains, you know, major, vast, vast majority of drug use, like 90% it's measured, is not problematic. So mm. people don't need, they don't need a fine and they don't need a health assessment necessarily. And so I think, you know, I, I see where um, Oregon is sort of trying to replace one system with another system but the the large majority of people who use drugs do do not have a problematic relationship with it don't need a a health system and don't need treatment so the important point is for us to have systems in place for those who do need it you know i think that's and i think that's interesting that you you say that because i think and 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 i would suspect that a lot of my listeners would would think that people who maybe are using you know heroin um meth that you know because we know at how addictive those drugs are would actually in fact have a problem with it Yeah, you know what the 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 drugs are. Um, some of the drugs are dependent. Like you, you physically become dependent mm-hmm. on them. But addiction is addiction is much more complicated than that. It's often um, people people with you know tra- trauma mm-hmm. or other kinds of um, co you know cofactors that lead somebody to a a system of problematic use. And the fact of the matter is they're are lots of people out there who use all different substances and they function and they they work their jobs they uh, maybe use a small bit of substances on the weekend, but they're not using it. It's not affecting their mm-hmm. lives. So I think that's, you know, they're, they're often hidden and we don't know about them because drug use is so stigmatized and criminalized. We don't hear about people who, who do that, but it's it's true. Like you don't, the, the myth of like, oh, you know, I, I try heroin once and the next thing I know I'm I'm homeless on the streets is not really true. It's It's a myth. Um, so, Scott, I'm, I'm curious to know when it when we look at small amounts, right? When we talk about that that small amount, what would that be? Because I think that you know, how much would that be from being okay? Well, we're you're you're good to go. You get the hundred dollar fine, or where it would be more. And 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 then when you're looking at trafficking, and I think that that's important to to note as well. That I mean, you know, people who have a substantial amount that you know looks like they are trafficking are not going to get off on this i mean there are still harsh penalties for those 
Right. Uh, although, although those are also in some cases uh, reduced. Mm. And so, if you're if you're in that sort of middle level where you're maybe doing a bit of buying and selling um, to maybe maybe support your own use or just as, as you know subsistence, those are downgraded from a felony to a misdemeanor. Um, but there's still the opportunity if you're you know running a big production facility or a big sales operation, those can still be charged at a higher higher level so in general all of the punishments sort of step down a bit but um, yeah like I think I think those are all important questions we res- wrestle with mm-hmm. like what are what are those thresholds um, who gets to decide <laughs> um, and and they're complicated by the fact that you know now now you know we're seeing a lot of things like fentanyl and very strong opioids in in the illegal drug market which people are now seeking out and are becoming tolerant to opioids, the, the more you the more you take, the more the more you have to take, because your tolerance grows. And so, you know, what we set as a threshold today may not be an accurate threshold in a few months or a year. And so, we have to be careful. But generally, the idea is that maybe you know it's your personal use. It's a it's an amount that's um, that that's perhaps you know a week's worth or something reasonable. But often often the um, determination is left to the police which has some mm. problems associated with it as well. Or, or you could hard code thresholds in, into the law. But again, those have to be revisited a lot because they're, they're not always accurate. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that, you know, you know if, if police have, the, you know, the judgment to make that decision. But, you know, I think the last time we talked is, is when the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police called for the decriminalization of, of uh, illicit drugs, saying the arrests are ineffective and do not save lives. Has there been any more movement on that when it comes to the, the the situation in in our country well not particularly and i think we're we're at a bit of a a standstill where um the federal government has has come out very openly and said you know they're not really wanting to even talk about decriminalization or or think about it or or sort of you know scope it out what it might look like so that's that's disturbing. What, what we are seeing are now more localized push for things mm. like uh, provincial level decriminalization in British Columbia, for example, yeah. where you know we, we're talking a bit about what kinds of things a province or even a municipality could do. And one one thing we're we're strongly um, advocating for, in especially in, in the time of COVID, is for provinces such as BC to ask the federal government for an exemption to the criminal law which would apply to the province and it would it would basically create a bc level decriminalization of substances and allow allow us to you know as a province to to deal with that like would it be a better solution for this to be done federally of course of course yeah. it would but you know what what do you do what do you do when the federal government's sort of not doing besides it besides they don't really want to do anything mm-hmm. um you know we're, we're trying different avenues to to really just push where there is some interest in doing this yeah it seems to me that it would uh, if a decision was to be made it should be on on a federal level so you don't have this patchwork of different rules or laws across the country because we see that in other areas and that leads you know into all sorts of issues doesn't it 
It, it does, uh, you know, but it's not a it's not necessarily a deal breaker. I mm-hmm. mean, we look at our, our alcohol laws and we have different True. ages. You know, your your Alberta has a different age than we do in BC, and um, you know, unless you're on the border, it's it's usually not a particular <laughs> uh, particularly bad issue. You know, I, I don't think if if drugs were decriminalized in BC, I don't think we'd see you know a big influx of people coming to BC just to just to use drugs. I think people people do that um you know for whatever reason they they move around and and choose you know maybe because of the climate out here or things but you know i don't i don't know that that would necessarily be um a huge social problem um but but again like you know you sure it would be better to have some federal policy on this and and leadership from the federal government on this so Scott, when we when we talk about decriminalization and, and we look at the opioid crisis that we're facing in this country, certainly BC, Alberta, the numbers during uh, COVID during the past eight months have been um, have been staggering in 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 those provinces. Can you explain how decriminalization would help with that crisis? It, it, sure, and you know, and, and let me just say this is. It's tragic, you know. Every every day, I'm I'm on calls with uh, they include people who work on the front lines yeah. uh, in in Alberta, in Ontario, in BC, who who just talk about you know the huge death number and and you know people in the community are are dying and and we sort of haven't yet risen that level of urgency to to solve the problem and so uh criminalization of drugs it creates uh like first and foremost it creates stigma uh that prevents people from accessing health services and so whether that's uh, things like harm reduction services Mm -hmm. or safe supply or uh or just going and you know talking about housing and things you uh one's drug use has to be secret and it has to be um, it has to be hidden, and there's a lot of stigma around it embedded in our system. And so we, we, you know, the evidence shows that in places where they've decriminalized, people come out of the shadows and because of that are able to access health services, they're able to access treatment better, they're able to just be more open and uh, about what they need and what kinds of help they can get. So that's that's the first thing. And, and second is just sort of... We, we know we know the decriminalization just doesn't work it doesn't it doesn't reduce the supply of drugs doesn't reduce the demand of drugs it it costs us a lot of money that could better be spent on measures that that would save people's lives and so i think i think ultimately uh part part of it is a tangible benefit where we're not criminalizing people we're not stigmatizing them any longer and the other part is just we're sort of shifting and we're saying as a society that these you know these people matter uh it matters that we uh, provide adequate resources for their health and well-being and and we're not treating drug use as as something that's morally wrong or criminal we're treating it as as a public health issue. Um, before I let you go, I, I do think it's 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 interesting um, if we go back to Oregon, looking at how they have suggested to fund, um, you know, recovery centers. Because one of the things was is that um, you know if they are caught with those small amounts, the possibility is that 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 small fine or attending a free addiction a free 
Addiction Recovery Center. And what they're suggesting is um, paying for those recovery centers through tax revenue generated by that state's legal cannabis industry. I thought that mm-hmm. was I thought that was very interesting. Um, and, and I wonder though how much you know the state or a country would want to give up the revenue generated from that. Right. I, I think I think that's a good it's a good question, and I think you know doing it doing it by ballot measure means that the politicians don't have to decide to move the money around. <laughs> the, the people did. Um, you know, we're not we're not so lucky here. But uh, I, I think there's two. You know, that that's one potential source of funding. The the other is just sort of reallocating the money. We we know. We know policing and criminal justice is very expensive. Yeah. You know, if we have to house somebody or put them through the court system or pay for uh, police and judges and lawyers and all of these things, that's all money that is potentially a windfall that we could say as a society, we, we would like to reallocate that and, and re- redistribute it to things that we think are more beneficial. And so, um, you know, it, I, th- I think largely... It's it's a pragmatic but also a symbolic gesture of taking the cannabis money. Um, you know, in the states, in the states, there's so much cannabis money flying around that I think <laughs> I think people are, are sort of thinking a bit of like, well, this money should be putting be putting back towards social good, not just not just making people richer. And so I think there's there's a bit of, you know, there's a bit of like let's let's make sure everybody benefits from the cannabis legal regulation and so but you know we could choose to do that um if we wanted to but also also just by saving the criminal justice costs we should have money that we can choose to allocate to things like treatment or prevention or harm reduction you know what scott i'm i'm out of time and um i, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon i appreciate the conversation i appreciate the insight and we'll continue to to watch and and, and certainly see how this unfolds in in oregon i think it's going to be fascinating to watch that's yeah, really fascinating like a little crack in the crack in the wall we'll see where it goes yeah absolutely thanks for this Thank you. You betcha. Scott Bernstein joining me this afternoon, the Director of Policy with the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition, Oregon, becoming the first state in the U.S. to decriminalize, decriminalize, not legalize, decriminalize hard drugs.